The scripture for today's sermon comes from Luke 11, 1 through 4. The word of God speaks to us. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. This is God's word to us. Hey, good morning, church. I am, uh, I'm so glad that you're with us today. If you're a guest, I, I, I'm just glad you're here. I walked in this morning and I thought, man, uh, this room smells like a wrestling tournament. Um, and, uh, and, and I spent a lot of time in gyms at wrestling tournaments when I was in high school, and so it was, a, it was a good thing for me. So if you smell the bleach, just be glad it's clean, right? Think about what was, what was maybe cleaned up. Um, <laughs> hey, over the last several weeks, we've been walking through this, um, this, this, uh, this sermon series that we've been referring to as Rhythms of Grace. And so we, we believe that, that God gave us scripture, in church membership, in fasting, in prayer, in work, in rest, in generosity, in community as means of grace on our lives, right? He, he didn't leave these things as a to-do list uh, for, for us to finish up before he gets home. He didn't leave us an ultimatum. I, I remember uh, as a kid, I grew up on a farm, and I could look out, uh, look out the window and see my dad's car coming home from work uh, from a couple miles away. And so I'd look out the window, and I'd see that he's on his way from work, and I'd, I'd run out to the garage, and I'd throw on uh, all my stuff for the barn, and I'd run out to the barn so that when he got home, I was doing my chores uh, because I knew that there were going to be consequences if he got home and I hadn't done my chores. But, but, but God is not like that. These, these gifts are not like that. These are graces, right? He, he gave us his spirit and his word so that he could form us into his image. So we read scripture uh, not because Josh McDowell told us that we're supposed to read scripture, right? We, uh, we join the local church uh, not, not because it's a, some kind of a social norm, uh, but we read scripture because it reveals God's character, and we join the local church because it's a, it's a, it's a way that we can experience his body. So with all that in mind, uh, we're going to turn our attention toward prayer this morning. And, and, and through the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us that when we pray, we actually get God. We actually get God. So I, I'd love for you to open your Bibles up to Luke 11, and, and I'd love for you to, to pray for me as I pray for you. Father, we, we need you this morning. We, we need you to work. We need your spirit to be present with us. We need you to teach us. Father, I pray that my words would be clear. I pray that the ears in the room would hear your word clearly, Lord. We thank you for this time. Amen. Amen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you all to use your imaginations with me a little bit this morning. Uh, and and I, want, I want you to imagine that, that you are one of Jesus' 12 disciples, right? He, he called you and he called the other disciples uh, to, to follow after him, to lay down your former life and follow after him. 
So you've been walking and eating and sleeping and serving with Jesus for quite some time, right? We're in Luke 11, and according to the Gospel of Luke, you are called to be his disciple in Luke 5. So you've been walking with him for six chapters, right? Six chapters of, of, of seeing Jesus heal deadly diseases, uh, of seeing Jesus uh, tell paralyzed men to stand up and walk, of seeing Jesus stand up to the religious powers of the day. You've watched him preach sermons to thousands of people, and he didn't even need a microphone. When, uh, when you were caught in this terrible storm, Jesus was taking a nap, and he stood up and he said, hey, storm, cut it out. And the storm said, okay. Right? So th this, is the, this is the guy that you've been following, and in Luke 9, he, he sends you out. And he sends you out in pairs, and he says, hey, um, uh, go out and advance my mission, right? You are charged with the responsibility of carrying his banner. This man, this man that fed 5,000 people, he raised a little girl from the dead, and, and, and you have been asked to be his ambassador. So with all that in mind, my question for you is what would you ask him? to ensure that you are prepared for his work? What would you ask him to make sure that you are prepared to do his work, right? There are lots of things that come to mind. I'm, I'm thinking like, hey, hey, Jesus, I, I know this is awkward, but um, you asked us to preach. What, what do we say? How do we preach? Or, or, hey, it was really great when you fed all those people, uh, you fed those 5,000 people, but now when everybody, anybody gathers uh, in your name, uh, then they're expecting to be fed. So can, can, you, uh, can, you, can you give me some pointers as to how to do that? Or, or like, hey, uh, hey Jesus, when, um, when you cast the demon from the man into the pigs, did you know that the pigs were going to be there? Like, how, 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 did you, how, how did you orchestrate that? And if I find myself in that situation, uh, could, could you tell me how to handle it? Right? These are all questions that are like, uh, I, think, I think, legitimate questions, but if they ask that question, we don't have an account of it, right? But we do have an account of what they asked in Luke 11, 1 through 4. Listen to, listen to these words again from Luke 11. It says, now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day your daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who's indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. So, so here's my main point, friends. When, when Jesus taught us how to pray, he, he didn't teach us how to get God's things. He, he actually taught us that when we pray, we get God. There's, there's no better gift. There's no better grace. And through the Lord's prayer, Jesus shows us that God is powerful, that God is our provider, and that God is praiseworthy. So, so this morning, uh, we all sit and we say to Jesus, uh, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he answers us in the same way he answered those disciples all those years ago. 
So, so Jesus starts this prayer by saying, Father, hallowed be your name. The first thing coming out of Jesus' mouth is, is, is naming the praiseworthy nature of God. See, Jesus calls him his father, his dad, his papa. And, and as, I, as I look around this room, I, I can't help but think about the, the reality that the word father or dad may have a different definition for you depending on what your life experiences have been like. Right? M- many of you, uh, like, like me, were blessed with an earthly father who, who loves you and, and who uh, cared for you and protected you and led you. Right? That's, that's one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given me is, is, is my dad. But, but I'm reminded of a conversation I had with a friend uh, just last week. And he told me this story about he, he, he actually caught his dad in, in the midst of a marital affair. It, it, and as if that weren't bad enough, his, his, his dad didn't own his sin. He, he didn't repent of what was happening. So, so what is an experience like that? How does that, how does that make my friend think about the word father when Jesus uses the word father? And I, I think maybe many of you had an earthly father that disappointed you in a lot of ways. Maybe he was uh, emotionally absent. Maybe he was spiritually absent or, or physically absent, right? Maybe your dad was abusive. Maybe you're sitting in the room and, and that's not your story, but you're thinking and you're feeling shame about the type of dad that you are. I, I'm not going to pretend to know all the baggage that comes around the word father, um, but, but I, I want to say with, with as much tenderness and firmness that I can muster that God is our perfect father and that God is good. He is, he's redeemed the role of father if it's been malformed when you think about it. Look at, look at Luke 11, uh, verse 11 through 13. It says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give, uh, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If then you are evil, know how, if, if then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you, do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying that the love of an earthly father is powerful, but it pales in comparison to the love of your glorious heavenly Father. Right? If, if your hope and faith is in Jesus, then, then he has adopted you, and you have the best dad ever, right? He's good, and he's perfect, and he's praiseworthy. But Jesus doesn't stop with the word father. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. And, and hallowed's not a word that we use very often unless you're spending your weekends playing Dungeons and Dragons, which I think we might have some folks in the room that do. Uh, but, but when I looked up the word hallowed, um, there were some words that I thought were really helpful. It's the words that I saw were holy and greatly, to revere, greatly revered, honored, and consecrated. So, so Jesus starts this prayer by, by naming God's uh, relational role in our lives, by calling him father 
And then he comes back and he names, he names his deity. He names his, his holiness. It, it's, as if, it's as if Jesus is saying, hey, hey, God, you are not only my father, but you're a particular kind of father. You're the kind of father that is to be revered. You're the kind of father that's holy. You're the kind of father that deserves all of my praise. That's how Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer. And then he goes on and he says, your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. And when he says these things, we're reminded, friends, that that God is our provider. Jesus first asked for the kingdom of God. The, the, The kingdom of God where all things are whole. Right, where, where there's, there's no suffering and there's no pain, where there's no hunger, there's no anxiety, there's no loneliness. We, we see in the New Testament that Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God over and over again as a reward, as the ultimate goal. And he describes the kingdom of God as being near, right? Like the kingdom of God is different than the place that we live in today. Today we have confusion and discourse, right? But, but, but friends, in the kingdom of God, there's no room for mass shootings. And in the kingdom of God, there's, there's no unwanted pregnancies and there's no war, right? Let, let's not miss Jesus' plea here. He, he wasn't saying your kingdom is great, although it is. He was saying, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come here. It's as if he's saying, Father, this world is so broken hopeless and helpless. I'm confused. I I, I don't even know how to follow you as your faithful servant. Bring your perfect kingdom here, right? Through these three simple words, Jesus names that our Father is the provider of all that's good and holy, the next phrase Jesus says, give us each day our daily bread. So he moves from this broad prayer for the world that the kingdom would come to this seemingly small prayer that just says, hey, God, would you fill my belly today? Right? He he shows us that, that we can pray these big, broad prayers about the kingdom, but we can also ask him for these small belly prayers because he's the provider of all. Right Through this statement, Jesus, Jesus gives us a grid in which uh, we can ask God to provide because he is our provider. And just as a side note here, um, many of you have found yourself in this situation, I know I have, where, where I think, man, um, what, what I want, what I think I need looks different than what what God thinks I need. Or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's this. Maybe what you're asking for is actually a good thing, but it's not actually the time yet. We, we see that in Scripture. We see the Israelites prayed for generations after generations for a Redeemer, and then eventually Jesus was sent here, right? So he is always working, even if we don't always see it. I, I was reminded as I was thinking about that concept that every day about four o'clock in the afternoon, uh, my kids get irritated with me because they wake up from their nap and they want a snack. And what do they want for their snack? They want candy, 
right? And they want candy. The, the, the parents of young kids in the room are going, yeah, I, I feel that. Yeah, and so, and so I say, I say I, I'm sorry. Well, I don't say I'm sorry. But I say, no, that's not a thing that we're going to do at 4 o'clock on a Tuesday. You don't need gobstoppers, right? Um, but but here's, here's the interesting part, right? Like, like my son never checks with me, with me to make sure that I've paid the mortgage before he walks in the front door of the house. Right? My, my daughter never asked me if I took care of the Verizon bill before she FaceTimes her grandparents. Right? So, so, so they, they view me as their dad, as someone who's going to take care of them, who's going to provide for them. But, but here's, here's what's true, friends. My, my heart is warmed when they request sweet potato fries for dinner, and then I get to give it to them, and then they thank me for it. Like, that's a really beautiful moment as a dad. And so Jesus shows us in those, in those couple of phrases that God is our provider and that he wants us to ask him for our daily needs. So, so Jesus teaches us to pray, and he says that God is praiseworthy, that God is our provider. And finally, he, he ends this prayer with a declaration of God's power. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. See, I, I would contend that with both of these one-line uh, prayers, uh, Jesus is not only shedding light on who God is, but also telling us something about ourselves in our nature right? Forgive us our sins. From, from these three words, we see, uh, we see Jesus uh, confess and, and say that we are sinners. And there's no way around that, right? Like, like, why would we ask for forgiveness of our sins if we didn't have sins to be forgiven, right? You are a sinner. Your nature is bent, right? And, and when given the chance, we will never choose God's way without his help. Because our sin is real and grave, and we hold no power over it. As, as humans, we can't fix our sin problem with our human hands. It takes unhuman hands, right? It took God to intervene and look upon our dead hearts and revive us with the forgiveness of sin. And it's amazing how fast we can move past that enormous, miraculous truth that God is powerful enough to forgive our sins, Right? He is a powerful father. Right? And, and how, did, how did Jesus know that God was a powerful father? Listen to Micah chapter 7, verse 18 through 19. It says, it says, who is God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will have compassion on us. He will tread on our iniquities underfoot. You, God, will cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. And Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan to redeem his people, right? Jesus' life in death and resurrection is God's power on display, right? And it's passages like Micah 7 that likely would have been rolling around in Jesus' mind as he said, Father, forgive us 
our sins because he always knew that he was gonna come and redeem his people. And as if forgiveness of sin weren't enough, Jesus goes on to ask God to empower us to forgive those around us. Can you find the inferred truth behind that statement? Right, that, that, that the people around us actually will sin against us. We, we will find ourselves in situations where, where, where the only godly response is to forgive just as God forgives us. In his popular book, uh, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, he says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Right? Let's, let's not look past the reality um, that it is completely counterintuitive for us to forgive those who have wronged us. Right? We, we don't naturally drift toward kindness and grace. That's not something that's in us. That's something that God has gifted to us, right? God's grace is so powerful that it's, it's bestowed upon us and then it flows out of us, right? So, so where his grace meets us, then we get to turn around and administer his grace to the people around us. And Jesus knew that, right? F finally, Jesus says, um, and, and declares God's power when he says, lead us not into temptation. And temptation is scary because it's, it's so often paired with things that feel um, uh, good or mundane. Right? I, I like the way that Charles Spurgeon put it here. He said, he said watch constantly against those uh, things which are thought to be no temptations. The most poisonous serpents are found where the sweetest flowers grow. See, every day, every day, I, I am tempted to tell half-truths. I'm, I'm tempted to overeat. There are times that I'm tempted to undereat. Right? I'm, I'm tempted to compare my truck to my neighbor's truck. I, I'm, I'm tempted to look at women who are not my wife. I, I, I'm tempted to be lazy. I'm tempted in all of these ways, and that's all before I pour my morning coffee, right? And I promise you that temptation to sin is bubbling within your heart, and most likely, your temptations are actually different than mine, right? So, so I can't tell you what they are, but I'd like you to ask yourself two questions, the first of which is, is, is where do you feel a draw to sin? Where do you feel a draw to sin? And the second is, is where do you feel particularly comfortable because no one is watching? So, so where do you feel drawn to sin? And, and where do you feel comfortable because no one is watching? I, I, can't, I can't answer these questions for you, but, but I, I can remind you that we, the God that we serve is powerful enough to lead us away from those temptations. And I can remind you that Jesus himself was tempted but didn't sin. And I can remind you and I can, I can say that if temptation wasn't a problem, then Jesus wouldn't have mentioned it in his model of prayer. So back to my original question here, friends. What do we think the disciples, why do we think the disciples 
asked Jesus how to pray. They, they could have asked so many other things. Hey, hey Jesus, can, can you fill us in on where dinosaurs landed in the creative timeline? Because it's, it's really confusing to me. Should we do Sunday school or no? Right? Uh, but they didn't ask these things. They, they asked how to pray because they wanted to know how to pray. And, and if we're honest, uh, don't we all carry around doubt in our own prayer life? Right? When was the last time you had a conversation with somebody that said, man, um, I am really killing it in my prayer life. I am a man of prayer. I'm a woman of prayer. And, and I feel really content with where my prayer is at. Right? More often, I encounter questions like, uh, do, do I pray enough? Am I doing it right? Does God even listen to me? Even when I do pray, I can't, I can't seem to focus. What about my unanswered prayers? Does, does God even care? And my hunch is that the disciples asked those same questions, carried the same types of doubts, the same types of insecurities that we do. It probably felt profound to them to see this man, Jesus, who they're following, wake up early in the morning and retreat and spend time praying with his father. And, and they were just like, how do you how do, you do that? And, and so through the Lord's prayer, Jesus shows us that, that prayer is not as complicated as we think, right? We want to speak God's nature back to him. We want to we name our own sin and shortcomings and then trust his spirit to shape and form us into his image. But, but let me offer these three practical uh, factors to consider as you're thinking about living a life of prayer. Place matters, time matters, and you matter. Place matters, time matters, and you matter. There's a man in my community group and he is, uh, he, he's a little further along in life than I am. And uh, he's retired at this point, and his, his kids are grown and out of the house. And, and, uh, and I was talking to him about how he prays, and he, he was talking about how he, he spends a lot of time praying for our church and for our community group, uh, for his family, for his own soul, uh, contending. And, and he does all of it while on his knees. Right? This is a man who um, I, I can't imagine it's a comfortable uh, process to get down on his knees. I can't imagine it's comfortable while he's on his knees, and I can't imagine it's comfortable to stand back up. And I said, man, like, that's great. I'm really glad you're doing that, but that feels like, uh, like you don't have to do that, right? You can pray however you want. And he said, he said Derek, I, I, I have trouble focusing. I, I, have, I have a foggy brain, particularly when I sit down to pray. And when I'm on my knees, it helps me focus. It's like, man, I'm so glad, glad for that guy's presence in my life, right? That's profound to me, right? That, that we can't pray wrong. You, you can't pray wrong, but you can put yourself in, in places and in postures that help you pray better, right? Some of you, some of you um, uh, need to, to find uh, uh, time in your day that's set aside for intentional prayer, because, because some of us have been viewing prayer as too casual, right? And, and some of us may be on the other ditch where, where you, you need to, you need to uh, build small bursts into your day where you're praying naturally as your day moves forward because, uh, because your prayer life has been too compartmentalized, 
right? I pray before I eat. I, I pray before bed. I pray um, in this moment. Uh, and, and so we need to integrate our prayer. I, I don't know what that is for you, what that um, is. And I think that's going to look different for everyone. I know for me, uh, I, I pray my most effect, effective prayers when, uh, when I'm, I'm, I'm sitting at a table with an open Bible and uh, an open notebook and a cup of coffee and a quiet house. It doesn't always happen that way. I wish it happened that way more frequently. But, but those are the things that, that are helpful. That's the place that's helpful for me to be in when I spend time with the Lord. So, so my question for you that, again, I can't answer is, is how can you build prayer places into your daily rhythm? How can you build prayer places into your daily rhythm? So place matters. Time matters. Time matters. Uh, Wendell Berry is this, um, he's, he's this poet, theologian, farmer, author. Great combination of things there. Um, and and he, he lives on a farm in Kentucky. And he was, he was, uh, he was talking about, um, he was addressing the environmental challenges of farming. Stay with me. I, I promise I'm going to get there. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's talking about the environmental challenges of farming. And one of the things that he said is that he said, he said farmers, and, uh, farmers want a large-scale solution for the large-scale problem. So they want the solution to be in proportion to the problem. Right? And, and Wendell Berry's argument is like, we don't need a large-scale solution. We, we all need to commit to do small things and do them consistently. Right? I think that that can be applied to our prayer life. Right? It can feel like an enormous barrier to think of, man, I want to be a, a man of prayer, and, and that feels scary and it makes me anxious. I've got to figure out a, a giant solution to attack the giant problem. And the reality is, I don't think that's true. Look at, look at what we have in Scripture. Look at Jesus' prayer. It's not long, right? It's, it's a few verses of naming who God is, who we are, and, and how much we need him, right? And so, so I would challenge you, I would challenge you to, to, to spend more intentional time, but it doesn't have to be all of the time, and be consistent, right? Be consistent in that time. So, so place matters and time matters. And finally, you matter. And uh, uh, don't, don't hear that point as some like modern uh, self-worth pursuing, put it on a t-shirt kind of a way. You matter. No, that's not what I mean. Um, uh, w what I mean when I say you matter is, is, is don't hold yourself to someone else's standard. Don't, don't pray someone else's prayer. Right, right. Look, look, look at me. You, if, if all of your hope and faith is in Jesus, then he saw you as valuable enough to send his only son to adopt you as his daughter or to adopt you as his son. And, and if you're a follower of Jesus, he is glorified through your story. You can't outrun his grace. Right? He doesn't need to hear someone else's struggles. He doesn't need to hear someone else's confessions. He, he doesn't need to hear someone else's story. He needs to hear, he wants to hear from you, his child. So bring yourself to your prayers. Trust that he is going to meet you there because he is faithful. Will you pray with me?